The Emirates Mars mission celebrates two years in orbit around the red planet. This week on Planetary Radio. I'm Sarah Alahmed of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. One of my personal favorite space missions, the United Arab Emirates Hope Mission to Mars, has spent two years in orbit around our planetary neighbor. It's about to wow all of us as it enters a new phase of exploration, taking a closer look at Mars's moon Deimos. Mohsen Alawadi, director of the Space Missions Department at the UAE Space Agency, joins us to celebrate the mission's exploratory anniversary. We'll close out this episode with Bruce Betts and a peek at the upcoming night sky in What's Up. We'll dive into our regularly scheduled updates from our weekly newsletter, The Downlink, in just a moment. But first, we have a headline that you won't want to miss. On Monday, April 3rd, NASA announced the crew of the highly anticipated Artemis II mission around the moon. Meet the Artemis II crew. I'm Christina Cook. I'm a mission specialist. I'm Jeremy Hansen. I'm a mission specialist. I'm Victor Glover. I'm the pilot. I'm Reed Wiseman. I'm the commander for the Artemis II mission to the moon. To the moon. To the moon. To the moon. That clip is brought to you by the amazing people at NASA and the Canadian Space Agency. I'll link to the official crew announcement, including this video, on the website for this episode at planetary.org radio, because this is a moment we all deserve to celebrate. The Artemis II mission is crucial. It marks the first crewed mission to orbit the moon in over 50 years. It will carry three NASA astronauts and one astronaut from the Canadian Space Agency. It's also near and dear to my heart and so many others, because the Artemis II mission will take the first woman, the first person of color, and the first non-U.S. citizen beyond low Earth orbit. I'm so excited for the crew and for all of us Earthlings that will be cheering them on. Artemis II will test NASA's space launch system and the Orion spacecraft to make sure that everything operates as designed. This mission is a stepping stone for future lunar surface missions like Artemis III, and long-term lunar science. It's bound to inspire the next generation of explorers, the Artemis generation. It's also a fun moment for all of us here at the Planetary Society, for many, many reasons. But one of them is that we've been cheering on the Canadian Space Agency's Jeremy Hansen for ages. In fact, here's what he said at a Planetary Radio Live event in Toronto eight years ago. And someday, somebody's going to come into my office or more likely phone me and say, hey, it's go time, and uh, it's your turn to fly in space, and that's pretty incredible. Congratulations, Jeremy. And also, Christina, Victor, and Reed. Our hearts will be with you as you prepare for your mission around the moon. Artemis II is currently scheduled to launch no earlier than November 2024. We'll keep you all updated as we learn more. And with that happy solar wind in our sails, let's move on to our most recent downlink headlines. A Chinese lunar sample return mission has found water. Researchers analyzing lunar regolith brought back to Earth in 2020 by the Chang'e 5 spacecraft have found water trapped in glass beads. The beads are thought to have formed from lunar material that was ejected during asteroid impacts, then cooled when it fell back to the surface. 
there's enough water in these beads to suggest that the top 12 meters or 40 feet of lunar surface contains 270 trillion kilograms. That's 600 trillion pounds of water. That could be a huge help for future lunar settlements. Meanwhile, the European Space Agency is considering developing an independent human spaceflight program. ESA, which currently partners with NASA and other space agencies for its astronaut program, is assessing a report from a high-level advisory group that recommends developing independent capabilities, including crewed vehicles, a commercial space station, and a European human landing on the moon within the decade. All I'm saying is, it's a good time to be a space fan. You can learn more about these and other stories in our March 31st edition of The Downlink, our weekly newsletter. Read it or subscribe to have it sent to your inbox for free every Friday at planetary.org downlink. Today, we're celebrating the United Arab Emirates Hope Mission to Mars. The Emirates Mars mission is the first Arab-led planetary exploration mission and has been orbiting the Red Planet for two years. Hope has been instrumental in studying Mars's atmosphere and has already released six batches of data. Now with a new focus on Deimos, one of Mars's two moons, the mission aims to provide the international scientific community with previously unseen observations and data. The first Deimos flyby began in late January, and the data gathered so far promises to unveil fascinating new insights into this lesser-known celestial body. Researchers are only just beginning to publish papers on the amazing data gathered by the Emirates Mars mission. HOPE's unique orbit has allowed it to observe and analyze the planet's atmosphere and climate in ways we've never been able to do before. As people begin to delve into the data, the results have already been fascinating. The mission has observed everything from cloud belts to dust storms, and researchers are comparing its findings to computer models to let us know more. This is helping scientists fine-tune our understanding of Mars's weather and climate. But one of the coolest results has got to be what we're learning about Mars's aurorae. On Earth, our planet is protected by a global magnetic field that guides charged particles from the sun toward our planet's magnetic poles. When the charged particles hit our planet's atmosphere, it produces the beautiful lights of the aurorae. Mars doesn't have the global magnetic field that we do, but it does exhibit a phenomenon known as proton aurorae. Usually these kinds of aurorae are formed when charged particles from the sun interact with Mars's atmosphere, creating a uniform glow. But the HOPE mission has found that these aurorae can actually be patchy or localized. This suggests that there are multiple factors at play, like the solar wind plasma reaching Mars's atmosphere or turbulence causing the glow to appear in different areas. The HOPE mission's discoveries are shedding new light on Mars and its atmosphere, and there's still so much more to learn. To discuss this historic mission and the exciting new focus on Deimos, we're honored to have Mohsen Elawadi on our show today. Mohsen began as the lead systems engineer on the Emirates Mars mission, and seven years later, he is now the director of the Space Missions Department at the UAE Space Agency. Hi, Mohsen. Marhaban Bikum fi Planetary Radio. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I cannot believe that it's been more than two years since Hope went into orbit around Mars. I feel like it was just yesterday that we were celebrating that spacecraft's arrival at Mars, along with NASA's Perseverance rover and China's Tiananmen-1. How does it feel now that it's been two years? Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, it, time really does fly by. It 
honestly feels like it was only yesterday when we were anticipating that we will enter the Martian orbit for the Emirates Mars mission. I think with how busy we've been with not only this mission, but everything else as well, it's just been unbelievable on also the achievement that was accomplished by the mission itself. Honestly, hard to digest and believe that really has been two years so far. I've been a huge fan of the HOPE mission since I first learned that the UAE Space Agency was going to attempt an interplanetary mission. My brother, who actually does not work in the space sector, came to me with a YouTube video explaining the mission and what the name represents. So for people who are just now learning about the Emirates Mars mission, why did the UAE choose to name their spacecraft HOPE? The naming was not chosen randomly. Back in 2015, there was an announcement from the Prime Minister on giving the public an opportunity to choose a name for the mission. Through that campaign, the result was the name HOPE. And it's sad well because the mission is not only about achieving the science objectives, the technology or technical objectives, but also to send hope for the region. You know, we come from a region that is not in the most, you know, friendliest neighborhood. The idea was, how can we start changing the mentalities? How can we show that we have a better and a bigger opportunity than what we believe that we have? So the limitation that we put for ourselves, thinking that we are not capable of such thing. So this mission was to send the message of hope, not for the UAE only, but also for the region. And that's why that name really resonated well with all of us. Because the message that it takes with it, it's, again, bigger and beyond the technical and the scientific objectives of the mission. Honestly, I got a little emotional when I first heard about it, because I think particularly for people living in countries like the United States that have a very robust space sector, it's easy to forget that there are kids around the world that are dreaming of working in space, but don't really have the opportunities because the regions that they live in are still working to build their presence in space. So as someone whose family comes from the Arab world, I want to let you know how much it means to me that the UAE chose to name their mission Hope and that a whole new generation of kids have a new dream to aspire to. I think the mission is really living up to its namesake. Really glad to hear that. And yes, that's that's the exact purpose of the name. And whoever is from this region really understand why this name is really important, why this mission and what represents means a lot to all of us. So it's been two years since Hope went into orbit around Mars. What has that time been like for your team since the successful orbital insertion of the spacecraft? As soon as, you know, we did that successful Mars orbit insertion back in Feb 9th of 2021, we did not go and conduct science right away. So that was the first time that now the spacecraft is orbiting Mars. It was the time to confirm that whatever we designed is actually working. Whatever we put numbers and parameters in, are all making sense. That was the first time again we're actually observing the Martian atmosphere. So it took us approximately two months before we conducted and started the actual science. So May, approximately April, into April, May timeline of that same year, 2021, was when the science was uh, conducted officially. And since then, the science team, I mean, you know, mostly the spacecraft team, the mission operations team, 
they were the ones that were heavily involved. And the science team, you know, existed from 2014 as well. I mean, that's how we were working together. All of this team was working together. By the time that we got to Mars, it was approximately six years that they were going through these trainings. And now it was the first time they're actually going to work on data on a mission that they worked on and the mission that they put the objectives on for the science aspect. And that's when, you know, the science team now were taking the lead that this is their time now. We are in the science orbit, trying to understand the data that they're seeing, try to see what they learned in the last six years and how can they now implement it on the Emirates Mars mission data. Part of what allows HOPE to do this science, looking at Mars's atmosphere, is its unique orbit around the planet. So how does its special position relative to the planet help it study the Martian atmosphere and its climate? And that is one of the reason we positioned the, the mission at this specific orbit. When we kicked off the mission, the requirement was from, from the government that you need to do something that's unique. You, so that means you need to bring in data and information that was not available. So you're not going to repeat anything that has been done previously. This needs to contribute to the science community. So knowing that the team goes to the international science community, understand what's been missing so far about the Martian atmosphere. I mean, of course, there's tons of things that all each scientist would love to have, but we focused on okay, what is really missing from all of the other missions that can help us better understand the atmosphere, the reason that we think Mars lost its atmosphere, and how can we try to, you know, put that picture together was that we don't have the full coverage of the Martian atmosphere. I mean, all of the missions that we have today, prior to the EMM, all of the mission used to provide data on a specific time on, on Mars. So let's say a spacecraft that was existing previously used to bring data from the Martian atmosphere at 3 p.m. and 3 a.m. every day, but nothing in between. So it was hard to full up, to get the full picture or understand the full picture on what's happening, what's going on with the dust, the storms, the you know the what 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 is the full picture that is going to help the scientists to better understand the origins and understand some of these information that was not existing previously. Understanding that by needing to do that, it's not that the instruments needs to be super smart or you know something that out of this world rather than the orbit that we have we get to choose that we are in a bigger orbit that you know no other missions are in this orbit and that's the whole reason we got to this big orbit that is you know as close as twenty thousand kilometers from mars and as far as forty four thousand kilometers from mars each orbit that we take it takes the spacecraft 55 hours to complete one orbit so you, uh, you can imagine at some point, Mars is rotating beneath the spacecraft. So the spacecraft is you know, in the same position in, for a while, but you know Mars is actually going faster than the spacecraft. So we're able to cover it to get the full coverage of the Martian atmosphere. And already that's led to some interesting discoveries about the Martian atmosphere, particularly when combined with climate models. It's teaching us a lot. So are there any larger patterns that we're kind of seeing in the Martian atmosphere with HOPE right now? So the data that we still have, some of them are part of what we've been looking for to do to meet the science objectives of the mission. And some are outside of the scope, like the discrete aurora, for example. That is a phenomenon that 
the team knew that existed. There were, you know, papers about them, but this was the first time that this uh, mission is actually capturing that data and able to be uh, representing it and, and images for the main science goals and objectives. The closeout for, you know, getting that full Martian year is completed approximately sometime towards September of this year. Because whenever we receive the science data, the science team takes approximately three months to four months to validate that data. And that is just the part that they make sure that whatever data is being uh, available to the public, it's validated, it's accurate, there's no missing information in it. And only after that is when you know the team goes and do does the analysis on these data and do their studies and the reporting and the you know publishing papers on them. So I mean we are still in that process. It, I would say you know not before the end of this year we will be able to you know provide at least that first results of what we've seen from the full Martian year. Hope is about to go on a whole new adventure. It's already begun and it's changed its orbit to go investigate Deimos. Why has your team chosen to change the orbit of the spacecraft in such a big way in order to check out this moon? Deimos, starting with the mission, um, you know, we never talked about it. We never publicly announced it, but we always knew that due to the orbit we are in, there is a big opportunity that we can do something with Deimos. We never put it in the baseline either, so it was never part of the requirements. It was never part of the design. It was an opportunity that existed. We kept it, you know, there and without putting a lot of attention to it. Other than if we are in the science orbit, we are, you know, doing everything as needed. And if we see this opportunity again, we will do something about it. So we got that question asked a lot during the design of the mission. I mean, because again, if you look at the orbits, you can see how close we are actually to Deimos. And one thing to clarify, it's not a change to the orbit as much as, uh, you know, really minor maneuvers to the positioning of the spacecraft. So the orbit that I talked about, which is in, in the EMM's orbit, the 20,000 kilometers to approximately 44,000 kilometers, that is still the same. The numbers are really minor that we did changes. That is not impacting the science uh, of the mission. So the science objectives what was always the first thing that needs to be done. With the change that we've done to the positioning or the orbit, again, if we call it, but again, with the minor one, allowed us to have a better visibility and positioning as well to capture data from Deimos. So we are hoping sometime soon we will be able to start announcing the first images of Deimos. Again, this was an opportunity that existed from day one, and we took that opportunity, but without impacting uh, the main science objectives of the mission. That's so exciting. Uh, the images of Mars from Hope have been so beautiful, but uh, we haven't had a lot of images of Deimos over the years. I mean, some, it doesn't get as much love as Phobos does, but I cannot wait to see these pictures and I'm going to share them with everyone. Are there any other things coming out of the UAE Space Agency that we should keep an eye out for? I mean, you don't have to reveal any secret missions, but I would love to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I'm aware of any secret missions yet. But the lunar mission, I know the team from the Mohammed Malashi Space Center, 
are considering now the Lunar Mission 2 and that, what that will look like, but it's in the really early stages and just a concept that the team is working on. From our side, from the space agency, the asteroid belt mission is something we're working towards right now heavily. And recently, we also announced a new program called SUB. And SERB, basically, it's a translation directly from Arabic that it means constellation. So it's basically a constellation of three satellites that is focusing on Earth. It's uh, providing synthetic aperture radar images. And that is the first of its kind for the UAE to develop such a payload. And then the other project that the space agency is funding are, you know, some of them are on a small scale with universities, training programs. Some of them are CubeSats. But, you know, the flagship missions as of today are, you know, the asteroid built mission is the next Emirates Mars mission, the next interplanetary mission that the UAE is sending. I'm just so impressed with what the UAE Space Agency has accomplished so far and its aspirations in the future. It's absolutely mind-blowing that the space agency that just got off the ground less than a decade ago is doing all of these amazing things. And I'm so happy that people like you have had an opportunity to shift to space and make it your whole life. I want to wish you and everyone else at the UAE Space Agency luck with all of your future missions. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mohsen. So really, thank you for having me. Thanks for the opportunity to be able to share the journey and talk a little bit about what we've been doing here in the UAE and looking forward to more of discussions in the near future. You can hear the extended version of my interview with Mohsen Alawadi, Director of the Space Missions Department at the UAE Space Agency, in the podcast and online version of this show. You'll also be treated to two bonus segments on what to expect from the upcoming launch of the European Space Agency's JUICE mission to Jupiter's icy moons on April 13th, along with an update on NASA's Veritas mission to Venus at planetary.org radio or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll be right back for what's up after this short break. Hello, I'm George Takei, and as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. There is so much going on in space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Amber, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Catch the latest space exploration news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. And now it's time for What's Up with Bruce Betts, the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Sarah. So uh, what can we hope to see in the night sky this week, Bruce? You can hope to see Venus over in the west after sunset. Still brightest star-like object up there. Mars is uh, high in the sky, but it's gotten 
kind of dim and reddish, and it's going to be saying goodbye to the to Orion and the other bright stars that hang out with it over the coming weeks. Orion will drop more. Mars will still hang in there for a few more months, and Venus will be with us for a few more months. I mean, they're always with us, but they'll be visible. And then in the pre-dawn sky, yellow Saturn still visible in the east. Uh, we got cool stuff on April 10th and 11th. On the 10th and 11th, Venus will be right near the Pleiades star cluster. So the clump of similar brightness stars with the, where the cute little baby stars are forming. And that'll make for a nice uh, pairing. And if you got a clear view to the horizon, you should be able to see Mercury looking bright, not compared to Venus. But Mercury will reach its highest point of this particular motion uh, on the 11th as well. And later in the month, I'll tease a hybrid solar eclipse. If you're in various parts of Indonesia or uh, far western Australia or the ocean, if you just hang out in the ocean over there, and a meteor shower, not a bad meteor shower in the Lyrids. So that's coming up later. Let's move on to this week in space history, looking back for a moment, although looking to the present and the past, 2001, Mars Odyssey launches. Still in orbit, and as far as I know, still working, doing good stuff around the red planet 22 years later. It's incredible. Some hardware that did not work as well, but worked well enough, launched in 1970. Apollo 13 launched this week, 1970. Wow. We move on to... You know, I think I think uh, you could have been a dog in another life, and you'd probably be oh, totally. a very adorable one. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm yeah. kind of a dog in this life sometimes. Uh, so you've probably wondered, Osiris Rex, how does it compare to, I don't know, Tyrannosaurus Rex? Well, if you've wondered this, here's a little bit of an answer. Without fuel, the mass of the Osiris Rex spacecraft, it would take about 10 of those spacecraft to make the mass of a big T-Rex? You know, I, I've never asked that question before, but I really should have, because that's awesome. If you go with the so-called wet mass, with it totally fueled, which of course it's not now, because it's been flying for a while, then you still you still get four to five uh, Osiris-Rex. Yeah, those, I, I think we've learned a lesson here. I think, I think we need a graphic, you know, for scale. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with T-Rex, I think. Or Osiris Rex, it'll you know punch an asteroid and take some stuff. <laughs> don't, mess with, don't mess with a spacecraft that steals from asteroids, man. Let us go on to the trivia question. So we asked you, what do astronomers call a ring caused by gravitational lensing? And I could see a poss couple possible answers, but uh, how'd we do? We did really well. People loved this one. Our winner this week is Kevin Nicta from Fork River, New Jersey, USA who gave us all of the answers, said astronomers call the ring created by gravitational lensing an Einstein ring, a.k.a. Einstein-Chwalsen ring, or Chwalsen ring. Yeah, baby. So, Kevin, you're going to be winning a Planetary Society beanie. We'll send that to you. Cool. We move on to the new question. This is one uh, that you will know the answer to, Sarah. Hopefully. <laughs> no, no, you will. In the lore of the Destiny video games. Okay, yeah, I know this one. <laughs> on what planet was the city Freehold? Ooh. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. And you have until April 12th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us your answer. 
and we'll be sending you another goodnight Oppie thermal mug. I'm over here just giving out Oppie thermal mugs, but you know, I'll just make it rain Oppie thermal mugs until I don't have any more because they're awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about hope for the future. Thank you, and good night. We've reached the end of this week's episode of Planetary Radio, but we'll be back next week to share the biggest space party of the year, Yuri's Night. And remember, space friends, whenever you're feeling down, look to the stars, for hope burns bright. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by our hope-filled members. Mark Halverda and Ray Pauletta are our associate producers. Andrew Lucas is our audio editor. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. And until next week, Ad Astra. Ad Astra.